Thanks. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Appreciate that. Okay, so a little bit of a sort of a retro event here. Back in May of 2015, I was in downtown Toronto at Dundas Square. And it's a pretty busy corner, especially during the summertime. You know, there's all kinds of performers, there's magicians, musicians, there's artists, uh, you know, painting, doing chalk drawings, and there's, you know, all sorts of entertainment going on. But there's also plenty of individuals giving out pamphlets, books, CDs, DVDs, you know, and preaching about their religious beliefs. And when I was there, I recognized this pastor that I've seen there many times. He's actually, you know, spoken out at gay pride parades and all kinds of things. And he was standing there with a microphone and a portable speaker. And he was talking about how glad that he wasn't a Muslim due to certain verses in the Quran. And I noticed there's like three young men standing very close to him. They were looking really angry, very fierce. So as he was speaking, I just went in a bit closer. And so I asked one of them, I said, uh, hey, what's going on here? And this young man said, this pastor is always attacking our religion. And there was like three of them, they were Muslim men. They were from some other part of the world, I believe. And so they tried to give rebuttals to the pastor talking about atrocities committed, you know, in the name of Christianity. And they were talking about the Crusades. They were talking about the Bosnian massacre in the 90s. And they were talking about, you know, pedophile priests and, you know, pastor scandals. And so this pastor responded by mentioning Al-Qaeda, ISIS, honor killings. And these arguments were going back and forth, and they weren't really convincing either side of anything. I mean, they were just becoming more and more hostile, and it looked like, you know, a fight was about to break out. So I decided to interject. So I got in there and I said, hey, I said, instead of listing all the harmful things done in the name of Islam or Christianity, the focus should be on who is Jesus. I said, Islam says Jesus is a prophet, Christianity says he's the son of God. I said, so providing proof of who Jesus really is would really settle the debate here rather than... Now, in the past 10 or 15 years, Christianity has had all kinds of attacks on it. You know, things in the media and so forth. You may know about the Da Vinci Code, you know, Dan Brown, and he got some some theories about Jesus being married to Mary Magdalene, and he had kids, and their descendants were still around. And then there was another internet movie called Zeitgeist, which claimed that Jesus' life was a total plagiarism of pagan gods. And luckily, many pastors, many Bible scholars came out, and they put on presentations, there were books refuting all of this. So, you know, it was a little bit of a threat, causable disbelief, but I mean, it seemed to be contained. But now, I would have to say probably the biggest threat now to Christianity would have to be Islam. And I mean this more so theologically. Um, you've got tons of, like Islam is probably the biggest religion in the world or as big as Christianity, they have the same population. And tons of them are coming into the Western world now because there's economic, political, 
and social upheaval in all these countries. They're all flocking to the West now. And the thing is now in the West, the West has sort of lost its religious roots. And people are realizing there's all, you know, society, there's something empty about the modern world. And everybody's seeking something, some fulfillment. And they see how Islamic families, you know, they're very, you know, they have a very close-knit kind of uh, family structure. Many of them, you know, they, you know, statistically, many of them have more education. Supposedly, they statistically have stronger marriages. Many of them don't have as much substance abuse as, you know, the average population. And what's also happening is people who are not very religious are committing to Islam, and there are even Christians that are committing to Islam. And what I find funny about that is that if one's faith as a Christian is superficial, yeah, they easily get uh, swept away by Islam. Now, most of you know I had an Islamic upbringing during my formative years. My father's side of the family is Muslim. My mother's side is Christian. Uh, actually, one of my maternal grandfathers was actually a minister. And as a kid, I heard about all the flaws of Christianity from Islamic teachers, Muslim family members, and I read about these in Islamic books. I actually went to a few Islamic conferences when I was a kid. I went to the University of Ottawa when I was 10, and I went to McMaster when I was 11, and there was talks about Christianity and Islam, and I bought tons of books on it, and I used to, used to read about it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to present to you some of the most common criticisms of Christianity by members of the Muslim religion. Now, this is not only important to keep one's faith intact when a Muslim tries to sow seeds of doubt in a believer, but I feel it's also important that you can act as a witness to the Muslim or onlookers you know, of the debate or conversation. So what I would like to present are four things that Islam gets wrong about Christianity. You know, and these are some of the most common. Now, one of the big differences between Islam and Christianity is the crucifixion. Now, the Islamic belief is that Jesus avoided being crucified. Somehow, Judas Iscariot was made to look like Jesus by God, and he was arrested and crucified. And uh, Jesus somehow, like when during... Judas's arrest, Jesus somehow disappeared in the crowd like Houdini or David Copperfield, right? And then after uh, the trial and death of uh, Judas Iscariot, Jesus appeared at Galilee to meet the disciples, and then he went up to heaven. Now, in the Quran, it says, in chapter 4 and verse 157, it says, that they said and boast, we killed Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, the apostle of Allah. But they killed him not, nor crucified him, but so it was made to appear to them. Now, there are plenty of non-biblical sources that Christ's crucifixion was a historical event. You have in the first century a Jewish historian, Josephus, who wrote, Pilate, upon hearing him accused by men of the highest standing among us, had condemned him to be crucified. Now, there's also Cornelius Tacitus, a Roman historian in the second century who did not like Christians and said, 
Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of our procurator Pontius Pilatus. And also in the first century, I believe the Jewish text known as the Talmud mentions the crucifixion. On the eve of the Passover, Yeshua was hanged. Now, Yeshua is the Hebrew word or name for Jesus, and hanged was the ancient term for crucifixion. And they didn't have ropes back then, so, you know, hanged meant crucifixion. Now, going to the Bible, Jesus predicted his own death by crucifixion. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, it says, And he began to teach them, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be reflected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed after th and after three days rise again. Now, if Jesus himself is telling others that he's going to die, this means the Islamic theory of Christ avoiding crucifixion is refuted not only by historical accounts, but by Jesus' own words. I mean, I personally think... Uh, <laughs> Denying the crucifixion, it's like the worst form of revisionist history. Like, you know, people are saying the Holocaust didn't happen, the moon landing didn't happen. I mean, this is even more ridiculous. Now, the other issue, which I'm sure you've all heard, is that in Islam, they don't believe in the divinity of Christ. They say that Jesus was merely a prophet. And in the fourth chapter of the Quran, it says, Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, was no more than a messenger of Allah. And to even reinforce this belief even more, there's a bit of a threat and a warning. In chapter 9, it says, uh, Christians call Christ the son of Allah. That is a saying from their mouth. Allah's curse be on them, how they are deluded from the truth. So they're pretty much being, they're saying if you believe that Jesus is the son of God, you know, you're deluded and you're probably going to be cursed. There's actually a term in Islam called shirk, which means uh, if you ascribe a human being or a partners to God, like it's considered the most unforgivable sin, right? And there's like no, you know, there's no recourse for that. Like if you die and you believe that God has... Uh, you know, partners or human being as a god, you go, you know, straight to the fiery furnace. That's it. Now, another claim that I've heard often from Muslim critics of Christianity is that Jesus was never called divine or called himself divine in the Bible. <laughs> now, the Apostle Paul said in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Now, back then, I mean, calling someone, you know, God would have been blasphemy, you know, for Jews. So, obviously, they thought, you know, he was God. So, that's why they worshipped him. And we also have in Mark 14, Jesus stands accused at his trial before the high priest and again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. 
Now, Jesus is referring to the Old Testament book of Daniel, where the prophet Daniel says in chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is the one that shall not be destroyed. Now Jesus is referring to himself as the son of man who has dominion that is everlasting. Now this was a claim to divinity that the high priest declared Jesus guilty of blasphemy and then he tore his robe and condemned him to death. Now the term son of man, that is uh, Jesus or others refer to Christ very often in the New Testament comes from this, from that passage in the book of Daniel. Now, another doctrine of uh, Christianity that Muslims uh, debater, I mean, sorry, Muslims debate or like to attack is a trinity. I mean, this is a, a, a big one. They really, you know, bash this one all the time. They say that the trinity lacks common sense and logic. They will sometimes say that the trini trinity is a polytheistic belief, you know, meaning multiple gods, or Christians just can't do math because one plus one plus one equals three, not one. Now, I've even heard Muslim apologists try to use parts of scripture to disprove the Trinity, such as in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Or even 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. Now, the doctrine of the Trinity is this, which I'm sure most of you know. There is one God who exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, each member of the Trinity is not the same as the other, but each is fully divine in nature. Each member of the Trinity is not a God on their own, but the totality of all of them makes the one true God. Now, one can give Muslims or other critics of the Trinity example of how Trinities actually exist in our physical universe. Basically, the universe consists of three elements, time, space, and matter. Each of those is comprised of three components. Now, you have time, which consists of the past, the present, and the future. Space consists of height, width, and depth. Matter consists of solids, liquids, and gases. Now, if the physical universe exists due to trinities, why can't the creator of the universe himself consist as a trinity? So if Muslims want to claim that the trinity is unscientific or mathematically incorrect, I mean, you can use actual examples of the physical universe that show that there are trinities. Now, all these other claims like the divinity of Christ, the crucifixion, and the trinity, the Muslims really try to attack even further by trying to discredit the authenticity of the Bible. That's a huge one. And they actually say that uh, part of the reason, 
you know, Prophet Muhammad came is because the Bible was changed and corrupted and edited. So a message was given to him to fix that. And what are really the facts about that? Uh, the Old Testament was written approximately 1400 BC to 400 BC. The New Testament was written around 40 AD to 90 AD. So anywhere between 3400 and 1900 years have passed since the book of the Bible was written. The original manuscripts have been lost. Now since the first copies of the Bible have been written, they have been copied again and again by scribes. Now as meticulous as the scribes were with the replication of the Bible, they aren't perfect. Minor differences have occurred in various copies of the Bible. I mean, these differences are simple like spelling variations and inverted words like uh, Christ Jesus as opposed to Jesus Christ. But basically 99% of biblical text is original and the 1% that is different is not in any way altering biblical teachings. In other words, the Bible is, has been very well preserved. Now, Bible scholars can confirm that the copies of the Bible in the 14th century are nearly identical to copies of the Bible from the third century. Now in 1947, there was a discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in Qumran, a village close to Jerusalem. A young Bedouin shepherd found this ceramic pot containing leather and papyrus scrolls that uh, were determined to be about 20 centuries old. And during the decade following this discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, 11 caves were found nearby to contain thousands of scroll fragments from the third century BC to 65 AD. And the scholars were super amazed how similar the content of those scrolls were to other copies of the Old Testament that were several centuries younger. So there's no evidence for the Islamic claim that the Bible has been edited or tampered with majorly. Uh, there's no major part of the Bible uh, doctrine has been put into doubt because of minor differences among Bible translations. And as stated in the Bible in Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, when you say, you know, apply this uh, evidence or proof to a Muslim debater, they'll probably come up with this. They'll say, okay, so if the Bible hasn't been changed, how come there are so many Bible translations, right? I mean, I don't know if maybe when you're a new believer, you go into chapters, bookstore, and you see all these translations, like, you know, what's going on here? It's like, which one do I pick, you know? And uh, basically, your answer should be to them is that it all has to do with two things. One is that, you know, you're translating very old Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek and so you have different translation teams from different, you know, universities or and your academic groups. But the other reason is the evolution of language. Now, one of the benchmark translations, you know, is the King James Bible. And it's a classic. So in libraries, we have classic works that go back, you know, several decades, you know, or even, you know, several centuries, but we don't speak like that anymore. So we have to have updated translations. A uh, perfect example I can give is if uh, I say to someone, uh, 
say in King James English, I say, uh, I prevented uh, John's trip to the mall, right? So somebody will think, oh, that means you stopped uh, John. No, actually prevent in King James English means I went before him. So the King James Bible, there's like words that don't exist anymore and words that have totally changed meaning. So, and the funny thing is even with uh, translations of the Quran, there was one that I heard time and time again when I was a kid and it was actually a translation from the early 1920s and the language was very archaic and since then there have been other translations of the Quran as well. And this is Arabic that's you know, over 1400 years old and it has to be modernized. So, you know, it's a very, uh, you know, sort of baseless claim. Now, after giving all these rebuttals to those four main things, you know, a Muslim debater, they might just disarm the whole thing by two ways. They'll say, well, you know, the important thing is we believe in God or we basically believe in the same God. And, you know, they're trying to throw everything off course. But all these things are extremely important, uh, such as the crucifixion. Uh, Jesus died for the sins of humanity. Uh, it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, Jesus chose to die on our behalf and to take the punishment for us. If there was no crucifixion, no salvation. And that ties in uh, part of the salvation was Christ had to be divine. The only way infinite sin of humanity could be redeemed is by an infinite sacrifice. And the sacrifice is what cleanses of sin, giving us our relationship to God and everlasting life. As opposed to Islam, they believe in works. You have to do so many good deeds, and there's apparently angels on your shoulders taking account of all the good things and bad things you're doing. And at the end of your life, you know, you get whisked up to heaven, and the books get put down, and then they put them side by side. And if you did more good deeds, you go to heaven. If you did bad deeds, yep, you get tossed into the fire. Now, the other thing is what's so important about the Trinity uh, which they like to discount, is that the concept of the Trinity not only explains the triune nature of God, but also explains our relationship to God in regards to creation, divine revelation, and salvation. In First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 2, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And the other thing is the, on, the authenticity of the Bible is extremely important. Uh, the Bible is our history. It's an important record of the events of creation, the life of the prophets, God's instructions to mankind, and Jesus' life and ministry, and things to come in the book of Revelations. The Bible is also our source of instruction and inspiration. Uh, perfect example of inspiration, I mean, there have been so many stories of 
people, you know, going to a hotel, finding a Gideon's Bible, and they're on the brink of, you know, maybe ending their life or giving up. And, you know, it just, something changed on the inside of them. God helped them, helped them come out of, uh, you know, their depression or wanting to die. Now, if the Bible was a corrupted document, I don't think it would have this effect. And perfect example, I mean, some of you heard my testimony during my baptism. When I was 18 years old and I found this self-help book and there was like three passages of scripture that were listed in this book and I lived them for many years. And one was, uh, cast your bread upon the waters, it shall return to you after many days. And when I heard that, I was very mindful of how I treated other people because it was like sowing and reaping. And the other one was, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So I was determined to be very wary of the people I hung around, the things I read, the things I saw. You know, I didn't, uh, like some of my relatives were like news junkies. I wanted to stop that because they seemed to be either very negative or fearful. And also another passage was, faith without works is dead. Now, the interpretation wasn't cor totally correct according to this author. But the idea was that, you know, whatever hopes or aspirations you have, you know, you just can't just sit there and want things to happen. You have to really act, uh, you know, towards them on a continuous basis. So it's just three passages of scripture really changed the direction of my life. So it just shows you how powerful the Bible is. Uh, another perfect example is Miles. Now, you know his testimony, and we know how... You know, he had a few instances of overdosing with alcohol and drugs. And according to many signed, uh, physicians, brain scientists, Miles should have not come out of that. Like, he shouldn't be able to spell his name. I mean, if you've seen, there's a doctor on PBS, his name is Dr. Daniel Amen, and he has all these patients that are dealing with all kinds of head injuries from whether it's sports or substance abuse or chemical exposure. And here, Miles studying the Bible, it did something to his brain. You know, it just shows you the supernatural power of the Bible. Like that, I mean, this book is like plutonium. It's, it's awesome, right? And, <laughs> and the other funny thing, too, is like when it comes to, there's all this Oprah New Age spirituality everywhere. And some of you have probably heard of The Secret. And... There's this, uh, they take these beliefs from actually a passage of scripture, uh, ask and you shall receive, and they say, you know, ask and believe and receive and you can do anything you want with your mind or whatever. And the amazing thing about this is that people are searching out these kind of pseudo, you know, spirituality, but then they realize these things are hollow and empty, so then they want to search for the truth. And you'll see on YouTube, there are tons of videos and there are many articles about testimonies, people who are in the new age and all kinds of, you know, esoteric uh, spirituality, and they've all come to Christ. So it even shows you when the Bible's being misrepresented, it can actually bring people to faith, which is pretty awesome. And it's a perfect example of uh, Jeremiah... 1, verse 11 and 12, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? 
I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. I mean, the word is fulfilled in many ways, you know, and not just, uh, you know, just not just from the preservation of the Bible, it's just how the Bible impacts people. Now, Christianity has impacted human history in countless ways as a force for good in regards to social and political change and the modernization of society. Many Christian leaders fought for the end of the slave trade. Uh, there's William Wilberforce, who lived in the 18th and 19th century in England and helped abolish slavery in the British Empire, which led to the abolition of slavery in other parts of the world as well. Now you have also Michael Faraday, who is a scientist and an evangelical Christian that lived around Wilberforce's time, whose research led to our use of electricity. So if the Bible was corrupted, as Islam claims, I mean, would Christians have impacted the world as these individuals and so many other believers? I don't think so. And which also comes to my point, Islam and Christianity are not the same. You know, they keep saying this all the time. They'll get, they'll say, oh, you know, we believe in the same God, but the only difference is Jesus is, you know, we believe Jesus is a prophet. No, I mean, it's, it's extremely different on many levels. It'd almost be like saying uh, to someone, oh, do you know Miles? And they say, yes. So I say, what do you know about him? They say, oh, Miles is an accountant. He has a wife named Michelle. He has several daughters and a son. I think that's not the same Miles. You're, that's, you're describing somebody else. So it's the same thing with Islam and Christianity, like what, how Islam is describing Christ and salvation aspects of God is totally different. So there you have it. I think that uh, it's important to know these things because Islam is going to be you know, an influential force in the Western world that's here to stay for quite a while. And I think the best that us as believers are armed to know this, you know, we can help ourselves and, and, and we can be a witness to the Muslims and other people who are spiritually on the fence. So, all right.